It's an industry that I generally love. I have a passion for. I, I, I eat, sleep, I live for fitness. No, you need to be obsessed. You need to wake up, think about it. You need to go to bed, think about your clients, think about your progress, think about what you can do better. Genuinely, like, just be like patient and take your time. Like that, that is like, you've got to take it all in, in the right steps. You've got to nail what you do in person before you go and like. I don't like to talk about fear. The fears is usually something that makes your worries real. Welcome to the Coach United podcast. My name is Alex Povey. If you're a new listener, the show is released every Sunday on all the major platforms, including Spotify and iTunes. So be sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a show. Every week, we invite a new guest from the fitness industry or coaching space to share their personal journey in business. We will deep dive into actionable ideas, strategies, and systems that you can apply in your life and business too. You can also access free weekly content in our private Facebook group by searching Coaching Ignited. And if you're a face-to-face personal trainer with room to take on additional clients, head over to coachingignited.com where you can apply for our 30-day client accelerator program and find out more about our business, sales and marketing training platform. Now let's get into this week's episode. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. It's great to have you here. If you're joining us for the first time, then make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. But today, we're going to be talking all about high-ticket coaching and how to sell it. We're going to be doing a masterclass with the lovely Hannah Chan, who is absolutely crushing it, helping fit pros, coaches, and personal trainers scale their businesses with high-ticket coaching. And Hannah reveals how she went from selling low-ticket hourly rate coaching to now selling high-ticket coaching packages at scale. And we deep dive into the step-by-step process that she goes through and how she does it. And I don't even believe that she's ever shared this process outside of a client community before. So make sure you grab a pen and paper. There's going to be a ton of actionable things and principles that you can use in your business no matter what level or price point you're selling at today. All right, so we're live. want to welcome you to the show, Hannah. It's great to have you here. Hey, Alex. Thank you for having me here. I'm excited. So we were just having a bit of a talk off record, and we're both very sales-centric people, so this is going to be an awesome show. I'm sure of it. But before we dive into some sales psychology tactics and strategies, why don't we just take it back into your journey because you're heavily ingrained in the fitness industry mm-hmm. and I'd really like to understand a bit more about how you got started and how you kind of landed in the position that you're in now where you're training coaches on how to sell high ticket mm-hmm. yeah for sure so I actually got into the fitness space myself when I was 17 had just moved from Hong Kong to London for university And, you know, at the time there was a gym that was a five minute walk from where I lived on campus. And I was like, right, this is going to be the year I get a hot body, get some shredded abs, look good for the boys, (laughs) that sort of thing. So that's how I got started into fitness myself, you know, consuming all the content I could find on social media, doing the standard, you know, going through the clean eating, low carbs, that sort of thing, eventually got a bit too obsessed with the, uh, you know, the bodybuilding, the aesthetic side of things. And it was taking a hit on my, my confidence was taking a hit. 
you know, body image, self-esteem. So that's when I actually moved into powerlifting. So I transitioned into more of a strength-based approach to training. Actually competed for the first time in 2014. Did really, really well. And then for my powerlifting career, the rest was history. I competed for my country. I won the British Championships. Uh, medaled at the European Championships and World Championships as well. So that's really my fitness, you know, my fitness journey in a nutshell is still very powerlifting focused. Um, but the entire time as well, I was also a headhunter. So was working the, uh, you know, stressful corporate, I want to say nine to five, but it was more like nine to seven sort of a lifestyle. And my dream was to become an online fitness coach. I wanted the freedom. I wanted the, uh, you know, the travel, the laptop lifestyle, the financial freedom. And at the time, I had all these titles in powerlifting. I knew what the hell I was talking about when it came to coaching. But I struggled to get clients, let alone to get clients that would pay me at my price point. And there was this one time I was on the phone with this girl and that was the first ever time I raised my prices from like 30 pounds a month, which is nothing to it was 70 or 100 pounds a month. (laughs) And I remember when I was telling her at the end of our call, so the price for our coaching is 100 pounds a month. (laughs) I was really scared. I was like, oh shit, should I have said that? Should I have lowered my prices? Is it too much? Is she gonna, you know, judge me? And she walked away saying, uh, I'll think about it. I need to check my finances. I need to budget. And that was when I realized from talking to other fitness coaches, oh damn, I'm not the only one who knows what the hell I'm talking about, but struggling to get clients. How am I going to make an impact? So I started looking to the business side of things. I started investing into courses, investing into short-term coaching here and there. And, uh, you know, failed a lot of times before eventually I ended up where I am now. So here I am. Um, What I do is I work with aspiring online fitness coaches, you know, personal trainers that want to move online and then basically help them reach 5K months within three months of us working together so they can quit their jobs and live that, you know, make that impact and the income and have the freedom that they want. Love it. You've done a lot of amazing things. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, I like to think so. Yeah. Like there's loads of stuff there that I'm sure is in those earlier days that has set you up um, with a lot of confidence. But you (laughs) said specifically, like when you changed your pricing from say 50 to 70 to 100, you winced, right? You felt uncomfortable. And this is probably going to be what most people struggle with. Why do you think that was the case? If you were to think back to that moment, like why was it so challenging for you to increase the price? What was the kind of psychology you think behind it? It was a combination of being in a sort of scarcity mindset and also money mindset issues, self-worth imposter syndrome. So Let's talk about the first one, you know, with mindset, a lot of the time with coaches in general, we have this mindset of, oh, well, I don't know when the next interested is, interested person is going to come in or, oh, well, it's so rare to have someone actually reach out to me for coaching that we can tend to get emotionally attached 
to everyone who shows a slight bit of interest. And so whenever we do that, we feel like we put pressure on ourselves to want the sale and that translates through. And then, of course, the other thing is the whole self-worth with imposter syndrome of, oh, am I really worth charging this much? Like, I don't have this year's number of years of experience. I don't have all these qualifications. I don't have 100K followers on Instagram. Am I really worth charging the prices that I want to be charging? So there's that aspect of imposter syndrome as well. And then I would also say the money mindset issue of feeling like whenever we're asking for money, we're going to get judged and we don't want the other person to think we're greedy and we don't want them to just think that we're in it for the sale and in it for the money. So I feel like it's a combination of those that, you know, can be really scary whenever it comes to upping your prices and even pitching your prices. Yeah, I totally agree. The the first point you made is one of the fundamental things that stop people from one asking for more or like pushing a bit harder in the sale is the the limitation on the amount of leads that they've got. Cause that's kind of like the front end yeah. of the business. If you've if you've not got the leads coming in, like you said, you're gonna have that that scarcity mindset. And if you've got a scarcity mindset, you put too much value on each individual call or consultation or taste or whatever it is. And so you don't want to mess it up. And so you'll basically like do yourself a disservice because you're exactly you're thinking in a scarcity mindset, right? So f- firstly, you've got to fix the leads, assuming that. But once you fix the leads, how do you overcome the imposter syndrome? Because you might have a ton of leads, but then you might not feel like you're worth the money. How are you able to overcome that imposter syndrome and get to a level where you're confident asking for big bucks for your, your coaching? So a large part of, it was, part of it was simply to do with time. You know, the more we do it, the more comfortable we are with pitching our services and the more comf- confident we are. The other thing was more so to do with you know, looking at other people and seeing seeing the fact that other people are succeeding and, hey, they don't have as great of a base than I do. You know, they're not, um, they're national championships in their sport. There are a lot of fitness coaches that I knew were preaching absolute bullshit methods and actually sabotaging people's health, but they were killing it because they were doing well. And so it's really that place of, hey, Actually, I'm not here to sell the number of years of experience I have. I'm not here to sell the amount of before and after pictures I have. I'm here to sell you the life-changing result that you want. And when we shift the focus from looking at, okay, I'm worth this because of my qualifications or because of X years of experience or because of X number of clients to, hey, I'm helping someone change their life through health. I'm helping someone fix their relationships, you know, skyrocket in their careers. That is all so, so worth so much more than whatever price you can be asking for. Mm. Yeah, so you're effectively gaining perspective on the real impact you're actually making on these people's lives. You're not just selling personal training or fitness or nutritional information because anyone can find that stuff on the internet but you're actually facilitating bigger impact on their overall lifestyles. Yeah, it's that my it's shifting that mindset from thinking, hey, I'm selling someone an Excel spreadsheet and I'm selling them a 60 minute call versus I'm selling them the outcome. 
of what happens at the end and I'm selling them the life that they've always wanted. Mm. What would be interesting to kind of dive into is the process of presenting that in a compelling way because pitching kind of like the the features of something is different to mm-hmm. selling the result, right? And mm-hmm. to sell it in a compelling way is so important to sell high ticket and obviously get commitment. So how do you mm-hmm. take people through a process so that they're left wanting to sign up and they're prepared to pay big money for your coaching? Do you have like a format, a blueprint, a system, a process, whatever it is that you take people through? And what does that look like? Yeah. So whenever it comes to selling and I teach all my clients to sell over the phone is that it's all about getting someone from where they are now. So their current situation and their pain points to where they want to be. So their vision, their ideal situation, their pleasure points. So what we do is, and this is the sales process that I teach my clients and I use myself is we'll first find out a bit about them just to, of course, make sure that we can help them. And then what we do is we would then ask questions to make the prospect realize the pain that they're in because a lot of people, they're in pain, but they don't even know how much. And then when we ask the right questions, what it does, it it leads the horse to the water in the sense of they are then telling you why they're not satisfied with where they are, what pain points they have, and the emotions behind it, because that is what motivates people to change. And in general, people are more compelled to take action based on getting away from a pain than they are to seek a pleasure. It's basic survival instincts. You know, it's kind of like if there was, okay, it's kind of like if you were a car salesman and your boss said to you, hey, if you hate your sales goal for this month, I'm going to give you your dream car, you'd work a bit harder, right? But then if your boss gave you your dream car and said to you, hey, if you don't hit 100K a month, I'm going to take this away from you, then suddenly you're just so much, you're just going to work so much harder. And it's the same as in survival, you know, from that standpoint, if you're comfortable sitting down, you've got enough food. Yeah, you could kind of go out hunting and get some more food. But if you're struggling to survive and you don't have enough food to feed your kids, then like shit, you've got to work that much harder to actually make that happen because that's moving away from a pain. And so what we do, and I went on a bit of a tangent, is we get into their pain points and ask the right questions so that the prospect reveals their pain to you and really understands and they're selling themselves on why they need to change. Hmm. So what we do after that is we would then help them paint a picture and get clarity on their goals, their vision. So assuming you reached your fitness goal, assuming you had the perfect life, what does that look like? You know, assuming you lost 10 pounds, what's the why behind it? How does that look like in your relationships, in your career, in your life? And then help them paint a picture of where they want to be because ultimately you're selling them the better version of themselves and that life that they want. So what would typically come after that is you would then go into talking about your offer in a way that speaks directly to what they want and directly to the results. So that's what happens and that's the structure that I teach as well in my sales conversations. Got you. 
And then just to clarify, like at the end of the sales process, so you've you've been through your effectively diagnosis and then your prescription of the solution, right? You're going to pitch the result, the outcome. Then do you wait for them to ask you how much it costs? Or at this point, are you just presenting the price and allowing them to make a decision? How does that kind of end phase of the process look like for you? Yeah. So typically, they'll ask questions. They'll ask whatever questions they have. And then the last question will tend to be the price. So they will ask, okay, well, what is the price? What, what's the investment? And then that's when you then tell them the price point. So do you just say it or do you present it? Do you show it? So I personally like to anchor it in to the result and what they said. And the other thing I like to do is to use the word investment and not mm -hmm. cost. Yeah, because I think you know ultimately there is there are these very subtle things that of course like the alt the whole picture matters more, but there are these subtle things that can really matter on a subconscious level. Like instead of saying oh the cost is this the investment, and also for example if your program is like three thousand five hundred instead of saying three point five grand, you'd want to say thirty five hundred because ending in hundred versus grand just triggers like a slightly different subconscious meaning in their heads. You know, 100 sounds more digestible, whereas grand is like, whoa. Mm. Have you always been that aware about the wording and how to phrase things? No, definitely not. Um, it's just something that over time, and of course I have amazing coaches as well. So all these things that, you know, those things that I just said, they are really just the minor things. Like I'd say the 5%. Um, but most of it really comes down to leading the prospect through that process of uncovering their pains, making them realize why they need a change, helping them paint a picture of what their vision is. And then if you can help them presenting your offer in the way that speaks directly to them. Mm. And then obviously like the next bit is the most tricky part of the sales. It's gaining that commitment. It's getting the payment. And obviously we know as, as salespeople, as coaches, we want to get them there signed up on the spot because if we let them go, if they leave the phone call, if they leave the consultation, then the likelihood of them signing up obviously diminishes over time because then they get the voices in the head. They speak to their partner who says, oh, listen, you don't need to change. You're, you're okay how you are. And all these things come up that you have no control over. So how do you kind of combat that? And how do you lead it into getting commitment there and there on the spot? Have you got a process for that as well? Yes, absolutely. I do have to say I could not agree more because a lot of the time it's not done until you get some form of commitment and a verbal yes doesn't mean shit. <laughs> so no. I just had to say that because often, especially if you're leading them through the process and you do a good job at doing it, you know, they realize, hey, I need this. And then the longer they wait, the more they let fear talk themselves out of it mm. or they let their husbands or someone else, or they're just thinking to themselves and they can find a million reasons not to move forward unless you have, unless they've committed then and there. So my process and the process that I teach my clients is to actually take the, take payment over the phone. So we do this over Stripe. 
where basically you just ask for their card details, their billing details, and then it's done and dusted. Um, so it's super seamless and you can do it while you're on the phone with them. Got you. Yeah, makes makes perfect sense. In the instances though, because we're going to face these, people start rejecting, sorry, objecting to, to mm-hmm. making a payment. I need to think about it. You mentioned that um, in your earlier statement earlier in the podcast and I hear this all the time and so do a lot of coaches I need to think about it it's probably the most common thing that comes up because it's the easiest thing for the prospect to say it's generally not the actual objection it's just a statement when you hear that one what do you think and two what do you do I'll ask them it depends on who the how the conversation went but generally I'll ask them what they need to think about and help them realize that the reason why we're having these conversations is so we can, you know, talk through the process so that they get a lot of clarity on, you know, what they need to, what they need to know to make the decision. But whenever I'm hearing, I think about it. Yeah. 99% of the time I would say that people don't really need to think about it. Like likely it's just some sort of cop out and they don't want to move forward because we've been conditioned to be such people pleasers that it's so much easier to say I need to think about it than it is to to straight up say no Mm. yeah it's more comfortable for them and just going back to the point that you made is you ask them what they need to think about I do the same thing I literally had it on a Mm -hmm. phone call 10 minutes before this podcast she said I need to think about it I was like Mm -hmm. I think that's a great idea. I definitely think you should think about it, but can I just ask you what it is that you need to think about? Mm-hmm. Because when they say I need to think about it, it's not, that's not an objection. It's like, it's a stall, isn't it? It's they're having decision fatigue yeah. and there's something that's missing. And generally when you ask that, you find out what the real objection is and it, and it led to price. 100%. She went, it's the money thing. I need to know if I can afford it. At this point, I hadn't showed her the price because I wanted to see how bought in she was the process. Then I showed her the price and then I asked her, do you still need to think about the price? Mm-hmm. And then I was like, is there anything else that I've missed that you need to think about? And if there's nothing else that I've missed and the price is okay, then what is the reason not to go ahead? So it's almost just closing down all the little gaps or uncertainties exactly. and seeing what is the real problem. And generally it will come down to money or maybe their belief in they can get the results. Maybe they feel like if they invest, they might not it might not work for them or maybe you don't work, right? And they're not convinced yet, but I think pushing a little bit further is so essential, but that can be the hardest part to do in the sales process. And for you, mm. when do you, when do you stop and back off? And when do you advance? Do you have little cues and things that you abide by? When do you go, okay, enough is enough. And I'll go for my next best close, which is I'll give them 48 hours to make a decision. How does that look like for you? So if I can start to see, so a lot of the time what I do when it, whenever it comes to handling objections is instead of me doing most of the talking, I prefer to ask questions so they lead themselves to the conclusion. Um, so like exactly like you said, whenever it comes to objections, it's almost like peeling back the onion, like peeling back the layers of an onion. And most of the time, the first objection that people give you 
really isn't the real objection, is really just a smokescreen for a deeper underlying thing, likely their belief in is it going to work for them? And also, do they feel like they actually need a coach to get there? So in terms of when I decide to back off or when I decide to keep, you know, um, challenging them, a large part of it is intuition. And it's also, are they being receptive to me coaching them through their fears? Are they starting to kind of open their minds up to the possibility that they need to do this? Or do they still seem pretty closed off? Do they continue to come up with different objections? Or do they start to basically shatter their own belief systems? So for me, I, w- I would have to say it's largely intuitive. Mm. Yeah, I suppose you get that over time, don't you? When you've done mm. a ton of sales calls or you've done a ton of consultations or sales processes, you can kind of see the subtle cues or you can see the expression changes and you can kind of gauge what's going on. But of course, we'll never know for sure because you never know exactly what's going on in people's heads. And this is great. This is gold. We're going through the whole process here and people should be getting a ton of value off the back of this because this stuff is mm-hmm. like super actionable in terms of the process. I want to go to the next part, right? Because there's going to be an, another play that we need to think about if we don't get that commitment on the spot which happens right and it doesn't necessarily mean that mm-hmm. people are not interested one it could mean that we just didn't pull off the sales process well enough or they just haven't reached the point of maximum discomfort and they need it bad enough but it doesn't mean yeah. they're not going to buy in the future right because they fit into maybe a longer term client what's your process mm-hmm. if they don't sign up on the spot with the follow-up how does that look like to you how do you keep them in the system and, and maybe sell to them later on? So whenever they don't put down any form of commitment on the spot, it's quite rare that people say no. Um, you know, normally we just mutually decide like, hey, it sounds like you're not quite ready for this. So why don't I send you some of my free resources and then we can catch up again in a month or in a few months. So what I would do is I would then send I would send them to some of my free resources and then continue to nurture them on that end as well as through email lists. Nice. No, I love that. Mm-hmm. So you basically just nurture those people, just keep them close and just allow yeah. them to come around to making the decision later on. Yeah, continue to nurture, you know, check in on them in a few weeks or in a few months, ask them what their biggest takeaways from uh, were from the training. And then a lot of the time it is just down to, you know, some people need to take longer to decide. Some people just need to know you a bit better and need to be consuming more of your content before they're ready to jump in. Mm. What does your um, your follow-up process look like? Um, just so uh, you're aware, like what we do is we, we have a Facebook group, we have an email list, we have a messenger bot. Um, we've got me personally that can reach out via email, via DM and we kind of use like a whole host of things and obviously people will mm-hmm. be in the network and on the, the Facebook profile or the Instagram and they'll get subtle little testimonials here and there, bits of information. Have you built out like um, a series of nurturing tools that you rely on or is it a case of just following up via email, via DMs? Uh, what does that what that look like for you? So for mine, it's actually really simple. It's actually really basic. They would be, of course, after we get off the call, for example, if someone came from paid traffic, I'll make sure that 
we're connected on Facebook with my personal page. I'll make sure we're connected on Instagram. Um, I'll invite them to my Facebook group and then send them my free resources as well. And then a large part of it is that, you know, over time from their side, they continue to see my content. They're continuing to see my case studies and my client wins. They're continuing to know me better. And then from my side, I would reach out to them actively in a few weeks or a few months just to see how they're doing and how they're getting on and see whether they need help and what's changed from since we last spoke. Mm. How important do you think the client testimonials are to the conversion process? Ooh, that's a hard one, actually. Do you mean in the begin, like in the very first conversation that they'd have? Yeah, I would say or like I would say pre, so pre phone call. Mm. How important do you mm. think that is? Because there'll be a lot of trainers listening to this that won't necessarily be utilizing those assets as a way to one stimulate interest and get people engaged yeah. or get their belief system to think okay actually this person can help me and they might be missing out on a trick here because i know personally in our business yeah. one of the fundamentals is is the testimonials that we have and we do them all in video format we have screenshots and stuff as well which i've seen you do but how important do you think it is to have those video testimonials um in your business and what effect do you think they have on people's ability to make decisions on uh, in coming on board with you I would I would definitely say they're important. And of course, the goal is that your marketing and the front end should be doing a lot of the heavy lifting so that ideally, when someone's even on a sales call with you, they're like 80, 90% bought into the process because they've seen your testimonials, they've seen your results, and they know you. So the goal, you know, when sometimes people come to you, like from a referral and then they're almost so bored in already because their friends been like raving about yeah. you and talking about those amazing results. The so that's the, yeah, exactly. So that's the kind of thing that you should be aiming to achieve with that, you know, persuasion sequence of warming someone up before they even getting, get on a call with you, getting those, that social proof out there, letting them see the testimonials, so that they can see themselves in your ex-clients, so that they can see themselves in your previous client's shoes and and come at it from a place of, okay, well, if they can do it, then I can do it. Mm -hmm. So I think it's definitely important. Yeah, awesome. In terms of the, um, the advertising and stuff as well, we can shift it to the front end mm -hmm. again now in terms of the lead gen, because I imagine like you started off as we did, tapping into our circle of influence to generate leads and then organically working social media to generate leads. And then you go to paid ads, right? So you start yeah. with your initial resources and then you work out and then you realize, okay, I've exhausted that and I need to turn on paid traffic to, to generate leads. Now for anyone um, listening to this, who is not at a huge level of business yet and they're building, like what steps would you take in order to generate those first few clients or first few leads organically maybe? What would mm -hmm. be some of the things that you would have done or done in the past or still do today that generates leads and, and clients for your biz? Well, I would definitely say what not to do is to jump on Facebook ads and paid advertising straight away <laughs> because that's a mistake that a lot of people make is that they scale 
um, with Facebook ads way too quickly when they don't even have the foundation set in stone. So, you know, if we were to go back to square one in terms of how would you get your first few clients, I would say using Facebook and Instagram, you first need to know your ideal client, like the back of your hand. You need to know their biggest pains. You need to know their deepest desires and you need to be able to create content that speaks to them specifically. And then what you would then have to do is to start building up your network with the relevant people. So what Facebook groups would my ideal client be in? Like even what Instagram hashtags would my ideal client be in? I actually prefer to use Facebook here um, and then start to build up your network with the relevant people. And the goal is for them to be able to see your content, be in your circle. And so the, the process would be them in a Facebook group to in your circle, your Facebook friends, consuming your content, engaging with you in a messenger conversation, and then into a sales call and then to enroll them. Mm. And uh, in terms of like the, the posts that you find work best, obviously it's difficult to gauge because you don't know what the perception is from the other side, but maybe you get good engagement or you have identified that certain posts lead to contact lead to messages or maybe you have specific CTAs like call to actions that you use to get people um, either liking commenting or into the inbox so you can then nurture and get them on phone calls have you realized anything that really works yeah so I like to split it up into two different types of posts direct response which is shorter type posts that you want to almost force people to engage so it could be just a one-liner with a question and then more value-driven posts. These are like your longer essay-type posts. Uh, what I've seen work really well in the fitness space is a combination of the emotional, the connection building, as well as the social proof and differentiation because there are a lot of coaches out there and all they'll talk about is macros and calories and their workouts and recipes. That is all just informational. That's tip of the iceberg. And what happens whenever we post way too much of that is our audience can just see us like a free resource to go to and never feel like they need to reach out to us for coaching. So with FitPros, what I've seen work really well is a combination of social proof, you know, testimonials again and again and again, and also the differentiation piece based on why is your program or coaching superior to all the other solutions out there because there are so many in this niche and people are bombarded with you know skinny tees uh beach body influencer workout plans they're bombarded with different solutions that in order for people to reach out to you you need to convey why yours is better and superior than the other methods so in terms of the ctas as well something that i always say is you want it to be strong and you don't want it to be like if you're interested in coaching or if you might be interested or if you're thinking about it, because <laughs> that just doesn't really give out confidence, right? Like, hell yes, you should be interested. So there's no if. And the other thing is to shift the focus from coaching to results. So if you're ready to drop the last five pounds or if you're ready to lose fat without sacrificing your favorite foods, because then that's more results focused. And of course, people are ready. And the other thing is, once again, comes back to the pain and pleasure of people are more motivated to want to go out of their pain. So 
even if your CTA was something more pain-based, like if you're ready to ditch the yo-yo dieting and XYZ results, then do this thing. So that's mm. what I like to coach when it comes shift. to CTAs. Got you. All that was like really clear and uh, makes perfect sense. And um, yeah, really, really good stuff there. I, w- I want to shift it up a little bit because I was just thinking as we were going mm-hmm. through this podcast about um, some things you said earlier on, and it's a lot of mindset-based stuff. And I had uh, Stephen Eich on uh, the other day and we were going deep into like fears and assumptions and um, limiting beliefs and all those things. And I imagine these things show up a lot with obviously your coaching and your clients and with us personally as coaches, right? We sometimes are not in the best mental states or we maybe have doubts ourselves. And I personally use tactics. I use affirmations. I use goal setting. I use all kinds of things like rituals that I have um, in the morning or even before calls sometimes if if I'm trying to really win a big deal. Can you talk about some of the processes that you use? Do you have any kind of like quirky things that you do in terms of the mindset so that you're in peak states or self-care or anything that you actually do consistently to make sure that you're in check and when you're showing up, you're showing up? Yeah, I love this question so much because a lot of the time, we, um, you know, we really underestimate and undervalue how big of a role mindset plays. And it's the thing that can make a break for a strategy. So um, in terms of self-care, I always say this, but I fucking love bubble baths. <laughs> so I will like, actually, like three yeah, exactly. Week, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love bubble baths. I feel like it's my time to kind of, relax and think about life just mm-hmm. even if it's that period of time where I actually let myself just scroll through mindlessly on Instagram I could sit there for an hour while playing my music and then of course like I'm really in touch with like typical girly stuff so I love whenever it comes to resetting and recharging going out shopping um, things like that and then in terms of you know how can mindset wise from like really getting rid of the imposter syndrome the negativity having a morning routine really helps as you said affirmations visualizing your goals visualizing how would i be showing up if i was already there if i were already at the next at the next level not only what would i be doing but how would i be showing up what beliefs would i have and how can i start to incorporate them now so one thing for me that I realized I was doing was I was just sat at home all the time with zero care for how I looked in my pajamas all the time with like hair down, no makeup on. And it might sound a bit insignificant, but how you feel about yourself and how you present yourself has a massive impact on how you show up in your business. Not from a place of I need to look good for other people, but I need to present myself well so that I feel good. And then, of course, from a place of if I was already at my next level, how would I be showing up and how would my day-to-day activities look? So a lot of people, they think, oh, well, when I'm already at my next level of 50K a month, I'd be spending money that I don't already have. So I can't do that. 
but it's about how would your routine be different how would your mindset be different like if at your next level self you wouldn't be hoarding all the stuff in your bedroom you wouldn't be having a messy dim bedroom or you wouldn't be waking up at 11 in the morning then how can you start incorporating those things now to change your routine and your habit as if you were already there that resonated with me a lot (laughs) i like that last point it's Mm -hmm. almost like future pacing who you're becoming exactly and that's powerful because then you actually become that person exactly the biggest way to get to your next level is to start embodying the characters of he or she Mm, that's pretty much what um i practice in the morning so i'll write out affirmations in terms of like behaviors or certain levels of success or even a mission statement of the business where it's going to be in 12 months time in 24 months time so I'm already setting my mind into the future and so it's actually pulling me towards it and then I'm showing up in everyday life and taking actions that are in line with those affirmations that I've been saying on a consistent basis because my subconscious is then creating that roadmap. And it's so powerful. People think this is like airy, fairy, fuzzy shit, but it's not. You're like, you're creating a positive vibration in your mind, but you're also allowing your subconscious to take over when you go off, off path. It's probably, it's very similar to driving a car. Like, once you've learned how to drive a car, you generally don't think about shifting gears. I, I don't even have gears anymore. I have an automatic. But like, if you remember yourself, if you drove a car with gears, sometimes you could be driving and then 10 minutes would pass and you'd be in a different location. Like, I don't even remember getting here. And you weren't even thinking about driving or shifting gears, but you just did it because it was your subconscious making those decisions for you. And you can do the same by programming it with affirmations and rewiring the whole thing um, to create different outcomes in the future. And it's really powerful stuff. And I've been doing it for for a long time. Yeah. Don't underestimate these mindset tools. And one way that you can really future pace is to write out your affirmations and write out your goals as if they were in the present. Mm. So, for example, if your next goal was 100K, instead of saying like, you know, my next goal is 100k, you'd want to write out like, I'm so grateful to be having consistent 100k months. Yeah, totally agree. Um, present tense writing is 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 almost yes. like you're there already. It's the same thing with future yes. pacing the, the outcome. And this will like lead us nicely into surrounding yourself with the right people, because you and I both invest heavily in mentors and coaches. And my philosophy is like, if you're not investing in yourself, then how can you expect other people to invest in you? You've got to practice what you preach, particularly if you're a coach and you're not investing in coaching, then what the fuck, right? <laughs> if you believe in coaching, then why are you not spending your money on it? You can't really believe in it that much, can you? So um, I, I'm a big advocate of investing in mentors and coaches, and I'm always looking for another level. We spoke about this and the people that you're involved with. But how integral do you think that is, as someone that sells mentoring and coaching, for you to be spending your money on it and surrounding yourself with the right people? And what does that actually do to your you, your mindset, and your business? It's everything. 
I think there are two things there. The first that you talked about was also like, are you practicing what you preach? And whenever I when when I wanted to sell high ticket, at first I didn't have a coach. And so of course I didn't sell. And a lot of the time, the objections that we get are the objections that we give. And we are literally mirrors for the type of people that we attract in. So if someone's consistently attracting in people that are broke and people that are saying, I can't afford it, or oh, I'm not ready, then you probably have to reflect on yourself and ask, where in my life am I showing up like this? Because people will simply mirror the same objections and the same beliefs that we have, that we hold ourselves. So I truly, truly believe that having a coach for yourself, if you are a coach, is a thousand percent important you know, as well as to stay in in integrity. And so the second thing to do with environment is everything. And environment doesn't just have to do with your real life friends, like the people that you're seeing in person, but even online. And that's where I really thrive. That's where I get my energy from is the mastermind group that I'm in on Facebook. And ultimately it's just a Facebook group. But when you're supported by a group of people that are all on the same mission, that all have the same mindset, that are all just pushing each other to grow. When you're normalizing your goals, you know, when someone's hitting like, you know, they're like 21, 22 year olds and they're on like 60, 70K a month. When that's normal, it forces you to level up too. So it's kind of like if you're trying to go on a diet, but everyone around you is eating bad, and everyone around you is saying, oh, well, it's okay. You can just go out with us tonight. Or, well, one hurt's not going to bite. Of course, it's going to make it that much harder compared to if you were surrounding yourself with people that eat super well and go to the gym and take care of themselves. It's the exact same thing in business. Mm. Do you know what would be interesting for us to cover? The thought process behind mm. deciding on a coach or a mentor or a mastermind because there'll be a huge portion of people that will be listening to this right now who have never bought those services before. Some people don't even know they exist and you can fast track your success with mentors and coaches and gurus, if you want to call them those things. And it's kind of like um, a unique purchase that some people have not made before. You and I yeah. have invested in them. We've seen the results. Our new mindset is this shit works. The more you spend, the more you get back, right? It's simple mass if you find the right people. Yes, there's a lot of people out there that maybe you're not a good fit at that particular moment in time, or their results are not genuine, or they're not the right people for you. But in terms of your process for finding the right people and the decision-making process that you went through, maybe the psychological process that you went through to sign up to your first coach or the mastermind you're in right now. How did that look like? Let's help people understand the thoughts that we go through yeah. to maybe help them make a decision yeah. to come on board with people like you and I and other people out there that can help. Yeah, definitely. So for me, it was very much a case of a few things like first, is this coach, has she gone through the same journey as me? Does she understand where I am at the moment? And do I want the life that she's living? And one of the first coaches that I hired, I purely bought into her 
because she had this life that I wanted to live. That was pretty much it. And she showcased some results. And so I think whenever it comes down to coaching, it's so, so important that you resonate with the person, you know, the coach on a personality level, your core values are aligned. You like what they're saying. You like their philosophy. You like their approach and also results. For me, results, I would actually say are the number one thing. And that's why I'm I'm with Traffic and Funnels because I truly believe that they have world-class results and consistency as well because every coach out there can kind of post their best, you know, their best case studies. Like they'll always have one or two case studies that are amazing. But what you really want to do is get behind the scenes and talk to their past clients, their current clients and get it from their perspective as well. Hmm. With uh, the mastermind that you're in right now, that's not cheap, is it? Nope. So, <laughs> like in that decision-making process where you're on a call or you need to make a decision to hand over a lot of money, how is that process like for you? Oh, gosh. You know what? I would say it's always going to be scary, but I'm just remembering the time when I first ever handed when I first bought my four figure like course or investment, it was just 1500. And I say just not in the sense that all oh, 1500 is just like money you can throw around, but relative to what I just invested in was almost like 20K. And I've just been able to see the mindset shift of when I invested in my very first thing, 1500 to me was like a do or die, my hand shaking. If I don't make this happen, I'm literally gonna like hate myself and cry. And then more recently, almost 20K, I remember I was doing the, pay, um, the the transfer while I was sat at a bar on my phone with my friends and I did it and I was scared, but I also trusted myself and the process so much more than the very first time I invested. So I think whenever it comes to investment and investing, it doesn't matter how much money you have right now. It doesn't matter how much you're making. It's always going to be somewhat scary to do. But each time you do it, you learn to trust the process more and more and you learn to surrender to that. Mm, that's great insight and uh, really loved hearing that. In terms of what's next for you then, because I imagine your business is going to explode pretty quickly given that you're in that mastermind. How do you mm. see this playing out for you over the next 12 months? Where do you want to be? what certain things you want to be working on, what clients do you want to be attracting? Um, yeah, I would love to hear what's what's next for you, Hannah. Amazing. So what's next for me is I'm probably, you know, I'm going to be focusing on building up my team and then expanding the resources that my clients get as well. So I'm looking into potentially hiring someone who's actually going to lead Facebook ads for me, who is so much better than Facebook ads than me. And then also transitioning my cl my clients to more of a mastermind setting so that they can have that one-on-one -on -one in combination with the mastermind container of high energy where everything just happens. So that's where it's going for me. Um, you know, things are scaling so rapidly that I'm, I'm continuing to put in the structures for my clients so I can make sure that my offer continues to grow. And part of that is bringing on someone who's a specialist in Facebook paid ads and also someone who can help my clients on the mindset side of things too. Got you. So right now, you're, are you teaching Facebook ads? 
yourself to your clients? So most of my clients are mainly doing organic Got you. because a lot of the time when people come to me, they don't even have the foundations in place. And so until they've really capped out on that, we don't want to be talking about ads. Got you. But that will be the next step that you're looking to do the hire for, or is that to run ads for you and your business? Oh, no. So I'm running ads myself. So the next step would be hiring someone who's specifically um, a Facebook ad specialist so they can teach my clients that because my goal is always going to be so my clients can get the best results. And I could teach Facebook ads or I could hire someone who's just light years ahead of me to teach my Mm -hmm. clients. And then in terms of your business, because this is more of a personal question for me and how we're building ours is how do you see it looking? Do you want to be fully remote or do you want to build an office, um, a team that you all work together? Like, how does that look like for you and how does that relate to the lifestyle that you want to live? Yeah, you know, it's so crazy because even if you just asked me that like three, four months ago, I was all about the lifestyle business of like just working half a day or a few hours a day and then doing whatever I want. But the more I scale, the more I realize, hey, I'm actually more impact driven than just wanting a lifestyle business. So for me, it's about scaling up um, as big as I can so that I can reach as many fit pros as I can. Um, But in terms of the remote versus office thing, to be honest, I think in the foreseeable future, it's probably going to stay remote. Um, And then as the team develops, centralize that, whether it's in London or the US. So... I want to I want to end on a question that I ask everyone, which is pretty integral to what we do. But in terms of your approaches, your philosophies, um, what do you think makes a good coach? Good coach. Uh, a good coach is someone who always, always, always will prioritize their client results over anything else. I think that's so important to me. And there are unfortunately a lot of coaches out there that scale so so quickly in their own business that their client results start diminishing. So I think a good coach is someone who can turn client who can turn people away because they're not a good fit, and someone who's going to focus a hundred percent and care a thousand percent about their client results and their clients. I love that part about being able to turn people away because that's again comes to the mindset of thinking in abundance. Mm-hmm versus scarcity and wanting to just take everything even if it's not a good fit and you can't guarantee the results so in terms of um finding you where can people head to learn more about what you do where do you hang out most where can people find you yeah so i am on facebook my page is hannah chan 0921 those are the numbers and then on instagram as well i'm hannah chan 921 921 what's 921 yep it's my birthday 21st of september (laughs) awesome all right hannah thank you so much for coming on the show i feel like this has been um, a really good deep dive into sales tons of value and we dived into some cool topics there at the end so just want to say thank Mm -hmm. you so much um i really love what you're doing and what you're about and the way you approach business and i'm really excited for for what's going to happen with you and your business in the next 12 months sounds really exciting thank you as well it was amazing to have been on thanks for having me and i am super excited to see where your business goes as well 
Thanks for tuning in to this week's episodes. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did enjoy the show, I would be really grateful if you could leave a short review or post a comment on what you'd like to hear in future episodes. And if you're a face-to-face personal trainer with room to take on additional clients, head over to coachingignited.com where you can apply for our 30-day client accelerator program and find out more about our business, sales, and marketing training platform. See you on the next episode.